When confronted with the truth of who I am, do I make excuses? It's a great revealer. So when confronted with the truth of who you are, who I am, do we make excuses? Do we blame other people? Well, you don't understand, but, but, excuse. Now how about look in the mirror, I'm gonna look in the mirror and go, yep, that's the truth. I gotta deal with it, I gotta face this head on. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you now, and God, we just come before you as a needy, desperate people. And there's nothing that we could look at in our lives truthfully and say, we got this. God, we need you on every level. There's people in our midst today that perhaps have suffered loss, a death. Lord, there's perhaps some in our midst here today that are is grieving over their sin, the brokenness in their life, and they're seeing it clearly. Father, perhaps there's some today that are just going through another difficult season, another one. God, no matter where we are, if we're in those valleys or perhaps we're on the other extreme, maybe we're on the mountaintop of life today, and praise Jesus if we are. But God, we want to praise Jesus in the valleys as well. And so as we dive deep into your word, I pray you will illuminate it by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. I just ask, would you speak today? I pray there'll be something fresh and new today that we will leave here today changed people, that I will leave here today a changed pastor. God, don't allow us just to to go through the motions and to check off boxes. But I pray every time we enter this room that there is a hunger, a thirst, a desire that, God, we want to be made more aware of your presence. And so would you do that right now? Word of God, speak. Fall down like rain. I pray the rain that's going on outside the Holy Spirit will reign on the inside today. And God, to you be the praise, to you be the glory, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Take that Bible, turn to James, James chapter 3, James chapter 3, looking at verses 14 through 16 today in your Bible. Pray you have a Bible open there, and we'll dive deep into the Word of God together as we continue in this study of James. And, and the title of the message today is, is one that I've thought about over and over, and at first I wrote it down as the culprits behind the mess. But the more I got to thinking about this, even yesterday and even deeper this morning, I wanted to make it more personal. And I pray you will make it personal. Because as we journey through these few verses today, we are going to see the culprits behind my mess and the culprits behind your mess. There are always culprits in the fleshly life that we live. And we're going to see very clearly from the Word of God who they are. So here's the Word of God as we think through this thought of, have you ever wondered why there's so much conflict and division in the home? 
Have you ever thought about why there's so much conflict and division on that ball team or at your business? Have you ever thought about why there's so much conflict and division in the church? Well, we're going to answer the question today. And so here it is in the next verses as we go verse by verse expositionally in our study. Here it is, James 3, verse 14. But if you, not your neighbor, not your spouse, but you, me, have bitter jealousy, number one, and number two, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Hmm. 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is what? Earthly, unspiritual, and if you didn't get the cliff notes from those two, here's number three, demonic. 16. Here's the bow with the ribbon, so to speak, on the package. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there you will. There you will be what? Disorder. There will be disorder in every vile practice. Look at 13 for just a moment in your Bible there. James 3.13. Here it is, context. Who is wise and understanding among you? Question. By his good conduct, by his obedience, let him, let her show, model, his, her good works. Why? How? In the meekness of wisdom, in the humility of wisdom. So you see very clearly that in verse 13, that James is, is coming out of that gate. Remember our context. So James 3 says, uh, verse 1, hey, if you're going to be a teacher, be really, really careful. Not all of you should because you're going to be judged more strictly. So for those of us that are teachers of the Word of God, this is not a pass that we get more grace. This is a, actually an admonition that we're going to be judged more strictly. We're going to handle the Word of God with great clarity, with great truth. Uh, if there is any essential, quote-unquote, business in our country today, it's the church of Jesus Christ. There is no more essential business than the church. Now, we're going to open liquor stores and strip clubs and casinos. And yet it's the church where you'll find your hope. And we've got to handle the word with fidelity. You think through that thought because he talked about 11 verses thereafter of taming this tongue. Remember that the tongue is, it boy, it just gets in there and what's in my heart, what's in your heart begins to come out, doesn't it? And we just... We just talk, don't we? It's amazing. We'll say, we'll say, we'll say, and we're trying to grab those words because we're going through a difficult time. We're disappointed. We're not getting our way. And, and what happens is we begin to live a life. We begin to live a life that we spew the venom, don't we? And then he weaves his way down into 14, and he says these words again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So who is wise among you, understanding by his good obedience, his conduct, let him be humble. But if you, so he said, look, be humble, be humble, be humble. Here's the admonition. Just live in humility. Like humility will solve all of our problems, won't it? I mean, if, if I'm humble, if you're humble, man, we're good to go, aren't we? It's amazing what the big H word will do in your life and my life. Just be humble. 
But if we don't, here he goes. He says, look, if you're not going to choose to walk in that, and we all have a choice, feet hit the floor every morning, we're going to say, hey, am I going to be humble? Am I going to look away from self? Or am I going to pursue pridefulness and look to self? We all have this choice, and we will reap the consequences, positive and negative, of that choice. So, But if you decide to go the other way, James says, here's the bed you're making. You're going to sleep in it. Here's what he says. But if you do what? If you have bitter jealousy. Bitter. So this word, the root word, comes from foul drinking water. You guys ever tasted some of that well water? Maybe you have that, but it tastes like rotten eggs. You guys ever had that before? Like you come in after a, a long run or whatever, you're out in the, mowing the grass and you come in and you think there's that big glass of tall water there and you start drinking that and it's just like, wow, oh wow, right? You're like, give me a bottle of Robitussin. I'll drink that before I drink this, right? I mean, it's just horrible. It's putrid. It's foul smelling and tasting. That's what he's trying to communicate here. That this bitterness is foul, but it goes even deeper. It really means this, to be resentful. You guys ever been resentful? Boy, you're just resentful. Right? You're just, oh. It's that, that self-war going on. Oh. We try to keep the church face going, right? Keep the church smile going. But we're, oh. He says, if you have bitter jealousy, what's that? Well, it's envy. But it goes even deeper when you look there in your Bible. It's, it's really provoking. It's provoking in a contentious way to create a rivalry. You guys ever poked a sleeping bear? You know, when you poke a sleeping bear, you poke a, a viper, but you poke them long enough, and what are they going to do? They're going to poke back, aren't they? It's the same way in the human flesh. And here's how we do it, though. You've got to remember the context. As he's writing here, there are not verses in the original nor chapter breaks. It's a flowing thought. So he's talking about the tongue. And how do we do it with the tongue? Well, typically, it's not an overt, hey, I'm going to come right at you. Here's how it works. It's often real subtle, isn't it? It's just a, a comment under the breath. It's just a smirk. It's a, it's a dig that is subtly undermining. I mean, think about your business, you business owners. Can you imagine having a bunch of employees that are constantly just undermining what you're doing? Just great unity, great oneness, great excitement, right? Of course not. It's going to create this contention, this confusion that James is talking about. The same way in your home, the same way at the family reunion, the same way with your children and your spouse and your extended relatives, that just the whispering, the gossip, the slander, taming the tongue, that, that again, this rivalry, this, I want to provoke because I'm not getting what I want, so I go on the defensive. You've hurt me. You won't hurt me twice. I'm going to strike first. And it's not often, again, overt. So often it's covert. It's this passive-aggressive subtleness of just a web of undermining. So there's, there's bitterness, this foul-tasting, resentful jealousy, this provoking, this rivalry. And then he says this, selfish ambition. So this phrase, I'm not making this up, this is legitimate factual from the original language. It originates from the political arena. Do I need to say any more? 
I mean, we're living this stuff, aren't we? I mean, just the contention, the selfish ambition, boy, I got to have, I got to have. And it really means this, having the desire to put oneself forward, especially becoming antagonistic and undermining to get one's way, trying to be elected at all costs, as we could say. It's ruthless. But here's the reality. Understand this church for me and for you, because by the way, we are all, me and you, all have hints at least of jealousy and selfish ambition. There's no one immune. But selfish ambition is self-deceiving. Now think through that. So if you're on the selfish ambition road right now, and you're saying, this is where I am, and you know, I got to acquire, and I got to have, and it's all about me, and, and the me monster, and the me planet, the me universe, the me church, whatever you want to call all about me, 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 me. If that's you here today, self, pursuit of self, this selfishness, this self-ambition is always self-deceiving. Usually the last person to find out is me, right? Because that's the other deal. We think we're being subtle about it, but trust me on this. It's a billboard to those who are watching. That's why the key number one is so important in your notes. I want you to write this down. Key number one, if I live in bitter jealousy and have selfish ambition, I am rebelling against the truth of God's Word. Write that down. If I live in bitter jealousy and have selfish ambition, I am rebelling against the truth of God's Word. When James is writing here and he says, look, do not boast in that same verse, do not boast, do not be false to the truth. He's saying this, do not glory against, that's what boasting means. You're glorying in, and we're all glorying in one thing or the other. We are in the midst of what we call a glory battle. The flesh is in a glory battle. We are in it for us. Uh, We'll go to church, raise our hand, and then, you know what? Literally in the parking lot on the way out, because some crazy Baptist cut us off trying to get to McDonald's, we lose our ever-loving minds in this, you can't do that to me. This is not the plan. I'm supposed to get there before you. It's this selfishness that rears its ugly head. And as you think through that, he says, do not boast, do not glory against this. But he also says this, do not be false. In other words, don't lie. No one lies to me more than I lie to me. No one lies to you more than you lie to you. He says, don't glory against the truth. Don't lie against the truth. Because the bottom line is, here's the deal, selfishness and jealousy just like humility, cannot be concealed forever. You ever met someone who's just really humble? I mean, right now you're thinking of a person you know who's really humble. You can't conceal that. It's just who they are. It comes out. But when we're selfish, when we're prideful, when it's all about me and what I need to get and I'm not getting, when I'm jealous and envious of you, it will come out. Think about Romans chapter 2. Write that one down. Romans chapter 2, verse 8. I love this supporting text. It says this. Paul writes here. He says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. So do you see this? So James is talking about self-seeking, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. See, we're all in a glory battle, and we will either obey God or obey self. There will be wrath and fury. 
So when we pursue self, if you pursue self, if I pursue self, we think we're one-upping, don't we? We think, man, we're finally going to get that person, and hey, we're finally going to have the upper hand. No, we're not. Everybody loses. Like everyone loses in the midst of selfishness and jealousy. Think about your business you go to tomorrow. Everyone's jealous and selfish. Good luck, right? Think about your home. Everyone's selfish and jealous. Good luck. Think about your ball team, your church. If everyone's selfish and jealous, there's going to be mass chaos and delusion. That's why Luke tells us in Luke 9, 23, Jesus speaking, he says this, and he said to all, not to some, but he said to all, if anyone, so if anyone today in the church house, if anyone, me, you, would come after me, Jesus speaking, let him, not like a let him, like, hey, I want to think about it. No, this is what you're going to do. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Think about those words. Jesus is speaking here. He didn't say, hey, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a card, get dunked. He said, if you really want to follow me, like if you really want to be in, if you're really going to do this thing and be a disciple of mine, here's the place you've got to start. He didn't say, take up your cross. He didn't say, follow me. He said, the first thing you start at is deny you, deny me. Why on earth would Jesus speak those powerful, potent, direct words to you? Why would he say that? Nothing else to say? I'm convinced I know why. Hypostatic union, fully man, fully divine. Yet with no sin, he, he walks this earth as God incarnate. He sees the glory battle going on all around him. Well, if you really want to be mine, Jesus says, your number one challenge, John, put your name in the blank. Your number one challenge, you, is going to be you. Going to be me. I got to deny me. Paul even went further. He said, I die how often? Every other week? Every month? Oh, you're right. Twice a year. Christmas and Easter, right? Sunday morning? No. He said, I die daily. I, I crucify my flesh. See, Paul knew it. He knew his flesh was so vicious against him. He knew that all that sins so easily lied at hand. It's right there. It's at his doorstep, Romans 7, that he knew that, hey, if I don't crucify and kill and mortify this every day, if I try to manage my sin, my sin will begin to manage me. And you've heard me talk about this here over the last few months. That's exactly my testimony. But so easy to get lulled into the, the stress of life, isn't it? And what happens when we get stressed, we begin to react to those we love in not a good way. And we say things that are not God-honoring. And now we've got to go to war against that. We've got to kill it and say, I don't want this in my life. Matter of fact, you name it right now. I name it right now and say, Tongue, you will not have the final word of my life. Just declare it. You will not have the final word in my life. God's going to take my mess and create a message. Put your name in there. He's going to take your test and turn it into a testimony. Take your trials and make them into triumph. He's going to take your setbacks and create the comeback. I mean, this is what God does. He's the master of this. And yet we've got to deny ourselves. Put self on the shelf. Self, you're going on the shelf. And watch as that humility comes in your home. Watch what it begins to do to your home as the atmosphere changes. Everyone's not warring against each other. At your ball team, your church, your business. 
This is how God designed it to be. And yet sin has wreaked havoc. How about Proverbs 18, verse 1? Write that one down. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So this is key. So we've been talking about this over the last couple weeks. I'm going to say it again. Let me just be very direct. I'm going to say this in love. Uh, The best thing I can do to you and do to me is just tell you the truth. It's not going to do you or me any favors by trying to coddle people. So here's the deal. If you are serious about your faith, if you're serious, you will have an accountability partner in your life. If you're not serious, you won't. You say, that sounds kind of weird. That sounds legalistic. No, it isn't. You you need one. I need one. I got one. You got to have that person in your life that's going to get in your face and ask you the tough questions. That loves you enough. Not your spouse, not your best friend. Have an accountability partner, man to man, woman to woman, and you have this person speaking truth into your life. Because if you're not, you're being isolated. And the enemy thrives on isolation. And what's going to happen is when I was isolated like I have been, I'm not making sound decisions. Uh, I'm not thinking clearly. You kind of think you're above the law, don't you? Well, I'm not above the law. You're not above the law. It's We have to have this in our life to keep us on the guardrails. And the reality is you and I will be as isolated as we allow ourselves to be. You and I will be as isolated as we allow ourselves to be. And the enemy's going to go, well, you can't find one. Trust me, if you pray about it, God will bring you one. Two tests, a two-pronged test for selfishness. Number one, when confronted with the truth of who I am, do I make excuses? It's a great revealer. So when confronted with the truth of who you are, who I am, do we make excuses? Do we blame other people? Well, you don't understand, but, but, excuse. Now, how about look in the mirror? I'm going to look in the mirror and go, yep, that's the truth. I've got to deal with it. I've got to face this head on. But how about number two? When confronted with the truth of who I am, you are, do I, do you begin to blame the enemy? James tells us in James chapter 1 that no one can blame God. Matter of fact, it doesn't even say talk about blaming the enemy. It does say this, though, that each one is drug away. Each one. We all have a heart that is wicked and deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9. It's part of how this works. We're predisposed to sin. So we have this nature in us that wants to sin. We, we desire to rebel. It's part of what we do. We want to, we want to rebel, don't we? That stiff neck. I, I just don't want to joyfully submit. I, I want to boom, right? I, I got to push back. That's how we're wired. From little guys and gals to the big guys and gals, right? That's how we do this. It's almost like we never truly grow up, do we? And we look at the youngsters and go, well, they're rebellious. And then we look at adults and we go, they're rebellious. It's amazing how this works. And we can blame it always on the enemy. Well, can the enemy be working? Sure. But perhaps this is really a hard issue that we're allowing the enemy to work in our lives. And we got to go to war against this by the power of the Holy Spirit. We say, Holy Spirit... I need you to come into my life in a powerful way. I know you're here. Make me more aware of your presence. I need you to see, for for me to see clearly. I want to see with unvarnished, unfogged lenses who I really am. And when I see it, give me the courage to have my accountability partner and me go to war against this. 
You are listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. See, you got to remember, the enemy is a bully. And all bullies are really cowards. And cowardly bullies hate it when more than one person comes against them. They love isolation. They love one-to-one. But the Word tells us this in Ecclesiastes, that two are better than one, and a threefold strand cannot be easily broken. When you get a band of brothers or a band of sisters going to war against your sin. Watch out, devil. Watch out. The victory's just on the horizon. Andrew Murray said it like this. A true revival means nothing less than a revolution. I love that. Here's why. Casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and His love triumph in the heart and the life. Think about that for a moment, church. Just think about for a moment in your situation today, and I'm thinking about my situation, where does jealousy and selfishness play in to my relationships? Just think about that for a moment. Just think about it. Just process that, truthfully. Where where does it play in? Because when you look at verse 15, it says this, James says, this is not the wisdom, not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, is unspiritual, is demonic. So this is not the wisdom, not, that comes down from God, but here it is as he cuts to the chase, because the reality is when we are selfish, when we're jealous, we're actually working for the enemy. So on the the times that I'm jealous, the times that I am selfish, I've actually switched teams saying, I'm going to work for you for a little bit here. I'm going to work for self. I'm going to work for the enemy. And here's the deal. This is not from God. God does not promote selfishness. He promotes selflessness. He doesn't want us to be jealous and provoking and envious of one another. He wants us to cheer each other on. How about this one here? So you go to work tomorrow, and that dude, that gal, you find out when you get there at 8 o'clock. Actually, you're there at 7.59, right? Because you're a believer in Jesus. You're going to be the best employee you can be. You're going to be there a minute early, sitting in your seat, ready to go to work. And you find out that that person, it's that person. No, I'm not talking about any person. I'm talking about that person. You know what I'm talking about. It's that person, that gal, that guy in that cubicle, that person. You believe are the spawn of Satan. Get real right now. Okay, here we go. You believe that's where they're from, and you find out they got the promotion that you've wanted. Oh, wow. As we say down south, them are fighting words, amen? Because you're trying to be a Christian, but you're not feeling too Christian. And you find out they got your job. You know, one of the greatest ways to get freed from the self-imposed prison cell of selfishness and jealousy is to truthfully look at that person in the eyes and go, you know what? I am genuinely excited for you. 
and you begin to do that with a truthfulness, here's what happens. The selfishness and the jealousy that's been wound around your heart, probably for decades, now begins to become unwound. And now you're wondering, going, no wonder I was so heavy and burdened as I was fighting for me. And now I can stand up straight. Now I don't have to fight for me anymore. I can joyfully, joyfully even rejoice for my enemy. See, it's so often selfishness and this jealousy that we have that's so bitter and it's foul and it's resentful. We think we're getting back at them. We think we're going to get them. They've hurt me and they will never do this again. And all we've done is we've put ourselves in shackles and thrown away the key. Remember what someone once said? They said, bitterness is like you drinking the poison while you're waiting for the other person to die. I don't think people understand what this bitterness and this resentfulness and this jealousy and this selfishness really does. The way it just destroys. And it all is an outflow of our mouth, isn't it? Because we typically will spew our jealousy and our selfishness through our mouth. What's in the heart, it cannot be contained. That's why key number two is so important. Key number two, here it is. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are not wisdom from God, they're demonic. Let me say that again, write it down, just call it what it is. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are not wisdom from God, they're demonic. You know, James says three things, earthly, so it's worldly, unspiritual, you could really say in the original, animalistic. It's kind of a brute, gotta, it's a craving, you know, it's insatiable, I gotta have this. But demonic, we don't need a whole big explanation on that one, Amen. Anyone show up at the church house today going, I can't wait to be demonic? Anyone? Anyone? And of course not. I mean, when we hear that and we go, well, I would never do that. Well, let me ask you and me a question. Have you ever been selfish before? Have you ever been jealous? Yes and yes, we've been demonic. I mean, that's how serious this is. You don't play around with this stuff. So often again, we think, well, we're not committing the big sins. But we're committing sin when we do this, and there will be consequences. The enemy loves to deal in vagueness, doesn't he? Generalities, why? Because sin loves the cover of darkness. Have you ever noticed this? So, uh, Back in, in Florida, there was a, a road that had all kinds of establishments that were not of the Lord. We'll just call them that. And I always wondered as you drove down this main road, you had to drive through here when you went pretty much anywhere down this main stretch. I mean, you you had to go by it. And I always noticed how, you know, it was so just quiet. But man, you would turn the, the lights on because it's dark and you had to drive through there at night on your way home, wherever you're going. And there's people everywhere. I mean, the neon lights are flashing Sin loves darkness. That's where it festers. The enemy does the same thing. As he plays on us, as we partake of that fruit, again, often the selfishness and the jealousy is not, boy, I'm going to just punch you in the face. It's much more covert. It's much more subtle. It's that 
sidebar conversation. It's that, come over here for a minute. Let me share something with you. And what happens is the enemy, he's slithering all around in the home, the business, the ball team, and the church, sowing discord. Why? Because we're not getting what we want. There's that jealousy. There's that resentfulness. There's that selfish ambition. It's about me and my praise and my glory. That's why we got to call it into the light. Just call it into the light. Like right now, as the Lord is speaking to you, He's speaking to me, call it into the light. Like whatever it is right now, call it into the light and go to war against it. Like kill it. Say, no more. And we've talked about this before. Maybe you're hanging around the wrong crowd. You might need to get a new friend. Sometimes it's important just to cut the bait. Because there are people out there that profess the name of Jesus and they will manipulate you and play you to do their bidding, to accomplish their purposes, to continue to sow their discord. That's what these people do. Got to walk in holiness. Walk in holiness. Kill it. Go to war. Kill it. Go to war. Declare war today. Whatever it is in your life and my life, kill it today. Just kill it. Have a zero-tolerance policy for this in your life. I was writing down another verse, and it's on the screen in, in front of you. 1 Samuel 15, 23. So this is, this is Saul, and Samuel's confronted Saul, and, and Saul's been a little rebellious and disobedient. And so here's what he says by the power of the Holy Spirit to Saul. He says, for rebellion, so there's that word, it's like that toddler who rebels, We do it as adults, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. If you're wondering what that means, it's witchcraft. So rebellion, when you rebel, when I rebel, we're actually dabbling in witchcraft. That's how serious this is. Remember, it's demonic. And presumption is as iniquity or sin and idolatry. So this rebellious spirit, and i got to remember the kids of Israel, well, they were so obedient, weren't they? Well, they just obeyed. They had such a... A warm, friendly, hallmark spirit, didn't they? The kids of Israel. Of course they didn't. They complained, they whined, they bellyached. And they end up wandering around, if they weren't decimated and killed, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, a very small, confined area because of their rebellion. See, obedience brings the blessing. Disobedience brings the curse. It's that simple. And rebellion right here from the Word of God is witchcraft. It's idolatry. How many times do we think of being selfish, being rebellious, being disobedient as witchcraft? Of course we don't, right? No one thinks of that, but right there is in the Word of God. That's how serious God takes sin, and He doesn't have this list where He goes, okay, this is the A list, and this is the B list, and this is the C, and so, okay, you're on the A list, you're pretty good, you're on the A team, oh boy, you're on the C list, boy, you need a lot of work, good grief, Holy Spirit, Jesus, let's focus on this dude, boy, he's a, he's a mess, that's not how this goes. It's, it's sin. It's against God. We go to war against the sin. We now get healing into our lives. We begin to go forward, restoration, reconciliation. God does the work. He gets the glory. We're now disciples that are making disciples. And Chester goes, I don't know what's going on at Enon Baptist Church, but I want what you have. But if we're not careful, we can just stay in the weeds, right? And the enemy says, stay in the weeds. Jesus says, I've come to free you from the weeds. Verse 16, our final verse, says it like this, James 3.16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there will be disorder in every vile practice. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, so where it is, there will be. So just think for a moment, don't overcomplicate this. So home, business, Baltimore church, if you have selfishness and jealousy that's bitter, there will be. Like this is what you're signing up for. This is how insane this stuff is. Well, I'm still going to pursue self. Okay, that's your prerogative. Here's what you're signing up for. Here's what you're signing up for right here. What's the word say? Disorder and every vile practice. Who today, by show of hands, once in their home, business, ball team, or church, disorder and every vile practice? Raise your hands really high. I want to see these. Yeah, it would be ludicrous, right? How would you want to invite that in here? This is why Scripture is so important. I believe we live in the most biblically illiterate generation of all time. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, here's why. We have more access to more biblical resources than ever before. And yet, from my travels, I see less people that are diving in the Word than ever before. The real question is not, are you in the Word? The real question is the Word in you. Because when the Word's in you, in me, what's in me, what's in you will come out of me, come out of you. And if we're washing the Word of God over our hearts and our souls and our minds, when we're in the contention, when you're at that family reunion and you can't stand that person, when you're at work and the spawn of Satan is next door to you, so to speak, in the cubicle, when you're at church and you don't get your way or on the ball team or whatever, whatever's in you will come out of you. That's why we've got to pour the Word of God in this truth. Because right there, James says, if you do these things, you are actually boasting against And you were lying against the truth. (laughs) Pretty serious stuff. That all was an outflow from 12 verses preceding, 13, that this mouth just does its thing, doesn't it? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. Disorder. Sometimes they call it discord, strife. You know, disorder is instability, it's confusion. Matter of fact, the original word gives anarchy. That's how serious, I mean, anarchy, like literally being overthrown. And so often, again, we think of discord as something in your face. It's real brutal. It's that punch, so to speak. I would argue differently. It's so much more often that passive-aggressive approach. Let me just see with, with with an attitude, with a sullenness, with a sulkiness, if I can just undermine this mission. And we got to understand this, in your home business ball team and church, church family, understand this, that when you and I, I'm talking to myself, when I'm selfish, when I'm jealous, here's the travesty in all of this. Not only am I making myself miserable and everyone else around me miserable, I'm actually hindering the gospel. Wow. This is how critical this is. And we will never get there unless we first deal with here. And I've seen this in years of travel where people were, they got their goals and their dreams and they got it flow charted and they got their plan and it's over there, but they never deal with the reality of here. And what happens is we never deal with the reality of here, we never get there. So as we process this, I want us to think through key number three, our last key. So here it is, write it down. These first three words are very important. If I allow. If I allow. 
put your name in that eye. If I allow bitter jealousy and selfish ambition into my home, business, ball team, or church, next three words are really important. I am inviting. I am inviting disorder and every vile practice as well. So here we go. So if I allow, make this personal, own this, at your home, in your home, at your business, on your ball team, in your church, if I allow, I am inviting. So here's what's happening. Just so we know clearly from God's word, when we go, you know what? It's okay for me to be selfish and jealous. I am now invited. I now go over to the door. I go to the door and go, uh, let me just unlock this door here. Click, click, click. Some of you are really protective and we've got one more click at the top. And so we open that door and we just swing her wide open and we go, disorder, confusion, anarchy, every vile, every wicked, every worthless practice, come on in. It's time to partay. And it's the deceitfulness of sin is what it is. It begins to warp our thinking. Woe to them, Isaiah says, who call good evil and evil good. See, some people argue that, that the fence of truth has been moved. I argue that it's been removed. I mean, let's just remove truth, get everybody confused. What did Hitler say? What did Hitler say? One of the most demonic men that's ever walked the face of the earth. What did he say? Here's what he said. Make the lie big. Make it really, really big. Say it over and over again, and eventually they're going to believe it. For we're living. Just remove the truth of God's word. Get self in there. What are you not getting that you really want? Make it really, really big. Get a bunch of people to buy into it. And now we got total anarchy on our hands. So what happens when we walk away from God in the home, in the business, in the ball team, in the church? We sow discord and we reap destruction. Because the reality is the culture that you allow in your home, business, ball team, and church is the culture that you will get. You ever thought about that? Like, you're all leaders, I'm a leader, so whatever we allow is what we're going to get. You put the systems in place, and yes, I get this. When you put systems in place and they haven't been there for years, people are going to rebel. That's okay. The best thing you can do that I can do for the people we love is to love them enough to do the right thing. Not just go along to get along. How's that working out for you? Total disaster, isn't it? No, you press into the Word of God because selfish people breed selfish homes, selfish businesses, selfish teams, and yet selfish churches. Not unity, but division. Oh, they they will say they're being unified. No, they're not. Passive-aggressive divisiveness. Whisper here, whisper there. It's not bringing people together. It's selfishness. It's jealousy. It's in the heart. It's pridefulness. I was thinking about that thought, and you know our mission, don't you, church? What's our mission here? We exist, what? For the glory of God, to be disciples of Jesus, that do what? That make disciples of Jesus. Do you know that when we live in selfishness and bitter jealousy, we can't even get to step number two? (laughs) We only get to step number two. Like, we're hung up on the glory war going on. We're in this tug of war with God going, oh, it's all about me, all about me, all about me. And we're just tug of war, tug of war, tug of war. Forget disciples that make disciples. We can't even get step number one done. That's how serious this is. And yet when you think about that, 
It's manifested itself in the American church through what we call consumer Christianity. Often when someone joins the church, I'll ask them, hey, you know, what, what brought you here? I can't remember the last time that I heard this. Well, you know, we prayed about it for a really long time, and we know this place is not perfect. But we believe after a desperate, humble dependence on the Lord that He wants us here to serve and advance the gospel. This is typically what I hear. Well, I like the singing, or I like the kids' ministry, or I like the student ministry. Or it's all about me, right? What, what did I get? It's consumer. And, and what happens is we become consumer Christians. And that's why we kick the tires over here and kick the tires over there. No, you're not meeting my need. Not meeting. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and His glory. It's about the gospel being advanced. That's why the persecuted church all across the world is thriving right now. Thriving. They know it's not about them. They're like, man, this is about Jesus and the fame of His name. Uh, we don't care if we have to sit on dirt floors. We don't care if it's not any air conditioning. We don't care if it's raining. Man, we hunger and thirst for the Word. We just want God and the Shekinah glory to do a work only He can do. And yet so often in the West, we have the selfishness that just wreaks havoc. That's why Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 4 says it like this. Write it down. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing, zero, not a nilch, from rivalry or conceit, but, here's the but to it, but in humility, there's the big H word, count others more significant than yourself. That's easy to do, isn't it? Isn't that easy to do? Just push people to the front. That's horrible, isn't it? Man, the, the mean monster hates it. It wants to be fed. The mean monster says, it's all about me. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What would happen? Just think about this. What would happen in the home, the business, the ball team, the church, if we lived out, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility? Just think about that right there. If, if everyone's humble and we count others more significant than ourselves, let each one of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, what would happen? I envision churches all across America one day having people filled in those churches that they actually are trying to outdo one another. Follow me on this. I actually envision all across America a revival where churches are trying to outdo one another as far as the people in those churches, the individual church. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, they're trying to outserve one another. Wouldn't that be cool? No, wait a minute. I'm, I'm picking up that trash in the parking lot. No, no, I'm picking up that trash. No, you don't get that trash bag. I get that trash bag. No, it's my trash bag. But what do we often do? Well, you know, I'm not teaching the class, or I'm not singing, or I'm not this. And it's all about, you know, the show and their performance, isn't it? Right? Who's out front? And God says, I'm not going to bless that. I want people that are humble and that fear me, that walk in contrition. The ultimate goal in dealing with selfish, jealous people is that they would repent and grow in Christ. Amen? Amen? And that's the whole point. We want me and you, and I'm jealous and selfish, that I would repent and grow in Christ, and the same for you. However, not all selfish people buy into that. Proverbs tells us this, there's wicked people, there's foolish people, and there's wise people. Which one are you? Which one am I? Because there are some people that just want to cause problems. That's just kind of the way this thing works. So, so what do you do? Well, what happens? I mean, so many times the, the, the people start playing the blame game. It's always someone else's fault. Back to the Garden of Eden, right? 
It wasn't my fault, her fault. Well, it wasn't it wasn't my fault, it was the snake's fault, the serpent. I mean, pass the spiritual hot potato, right? I don't take in the responsibility, keep passing the buck. Yeah, the reality though is sometimes in our lives at home, in the business and in the ball team, the best thing you can do sometimes if the person is simply acting in perpetual wickedness, the best thing you can do for that person is not just sweep it under the rug. The best thing you can do is tell that toxic person they're toxic. That's the most loving thing you can do. Do it in love and grace and mercy and humility. Proverbs 22.10 even backs this up. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer, an arrogant person, and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. You guys ever had someone who comes into your, your business, your ball team, your church, your family, and the moment they walk in, it's like the air gets sucked out of the room. You're like, oh, here we go. You even say that yourself, oh, here we go. Because there's this contention, there's this strife, this, this jealousy, this, this bitterness that just gets brought into the room. And Proverbs says, no, 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 no. In love, you confront and say, you can't be doing this. Oh, you're going to continue? Okay, well, you're going to have to leave. You say, that's me. No, that's love. That's love. To be able to say, I love you so much, we're not going to allow you. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians where there's that guy committing the perverted sin there in 1 Corinthians 5, and he says, that's a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And he says, look, he says, he says, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn you over to Satan. Wow, that's serious, isn't it? But you do that because you want the person to come to their senses spiritually. You want the blinders to be removed. You want there to be healing and hope because we're all about restoration. But there's some people you talk to and they don't want that. They're just after the me monster. What can I get out of this? And, and how can I pitch a fit and so discord? I see it happen in the business world all the time. Just trample on whoever you have to to get to the top. And who cares who you destroy in the process? All about the almighty dollar. That's why our takeaway question is so key. Takeaway question, here it is. As I look truthfully, and that's the key, as I look truthfully at my own life, at my life, not yours, not someone else's, am I jealous and am I selfish? Just ask that question. Takeaway question, as I look truthfully at my life, am I jealous and am I selfish? What is jealousy and selfishness rooted in, class? Not a, a trick question. You guys know. What is it? Starts with a P, ends with an E. Pride. It's all about pride. There's this worst viper in the heart that Edwards calls it that says it's, it's never satisfied. And again, you think about this, so the great exposer of the selfishness is simply asking one question. Here it is. Here's the question. How do I react when I do not get what I desperately want? I've asked that in marriage counseling. I've asked that to myself recently, to be blunt. How do I react when I do not get what I really, really crave? And that's a great exposure. But then the more I got to think about it, there's probably even a better question to ask. And that is, what do the people around me see with their eyes when I don't get what I want? I mean, do I go to Chernobyl and have a nuclear meltdown? Do I throw a pity party with streamers, balloons, and a cake with candles? And I just sulk? By the way, that's embarrassing, isn't it? I know I've thought about that. There's times where I've sulked, where I haven't gotten my way. And in the moment, it feels good, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel good to sulk? 
It feels really good, doesn't it? But it's so self-deceiving because you look back on it with clear lenses later and go, man, I made a fool out of myself. Forty-some-odd years old, I was acting like a three-year-old. Now, what kind of witness was I portraying to those around me? And selfish people are typically miserable people. And miserable people make other people miserable. And it infects like a disease. And they not only hold back the mission, but they hold back the gospel. And in the midst of that, what happens is so often we see that selfishness and jealousy now adds a whole new layer on top of this. And this is called unrealistic expectations. Now, I'm not talking about biblical expectations. There's the Word of God, and we stand on the Word of God. Amen? We stand on the Word of God. But here's what happens. Because in the circus between our ears, where the ping-pong match is constantly going on, it's the data center where all of the decisions get made from the deceitfulness of the heart. When we don't get what we want, we now begin to have expectations of other people that are unrealistic. Like I told the first service, and I'll tell you, just so you're aware, I'm a horrible mind reader. Like, I don't have that superpower, in case you wondered. I don't have that superpower. Uh, You need to tell me what you're thinking so I can understand it, process it. If I've sinned against you, I'll repent. If there's a misunderstanding, we can hopefully grow in that and move forward. But I'm a really, really bad mind reader. (laughs) Like, really bad. And we have these expectations on people. Well, I expect you to do this. I expect you to do that. I expect you to be this person. Really? And what happens is this. Expectation without explanation always leads to frustration. We just put this big expectation on so-and-so. They don't live up to that. And now we're pitching a fit. The discord and the division and the divisiveness and the selfishness and the jealousy and the resentfulness and the bitterness begins to flow freely. The enemy's over the corner going, this is so fun and so easy. And the gospel's being hindered. It's all about being a Christian that acts like a Christian. (laughs) And if we're going to do that, we've got to go to war against the flesh. That's why the action step is so important. And that's what I just said, action step. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will daily go to war against being jealous and being selfish. So here's the bad news. If you've talked yourself into the untruth that you never struggle with being jealous and never struggle with being selfish, you've deceived yourself. That consequence, as I've learned, will now impact your family. That consequence will impact your ball team and your business and your church and everyone else around you. And so when we just get honest and open, that's really what the Christian life is about. That's the whole point of the cross. The whole point of the cross is not so that we can have fire insurance. The point of the cross is that we have new life. We have a transformed life. And yes, one of the byproducts is we do. Yes, we spend eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. Amen. But it's also about having a life that's now free, that's new, that walks in holiness, that walks in righteousness, that pursues those things. That's part of the Christian life. And if we're not taking intentional action to kill the sin, it will kill us. So here's the last thought. And I want you to think about this deeply as I read this. The question again is, what are the culprits behind your mess? What are the culprits? Be honest. What are the culprits? 
Is it always the other person? Or perhaps is it the person in the mirror? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And here's the progression of how this works in our lives. We just read it. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, then boasting, then lying against the truth. This is not the wisdom of God, but is demonic. How about you today? Could it be that you've allowed jealousy and selfish ambition to intertwine around your heart? Could it be today that in the midst of that intertwining that it's got a grip on you that you don't even realize? And the self-imposed prison you're in is an opportunity right now to get set free by the blood of Jesus. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.